On the 12th of November 1918, the day after the armistice that brought an end to World War I, British Prime Minister David Lloyd George gave a speech promising habitations fit for the heroes who have won the war. In 1919, a house-building scheme began to provide homes for British Army veterans, which included the many thousands of Irishmen who signed up. Planners promoted the construction of new suburban garden estates situated on the outskirts of cities. The largest such housing development built on the island of Ireland was Kilester Garden Village in North Dublin, comprising of 247 bungalows. By the time it was completed in 1923, the Irish Free State, of course, was a newly independent country. To mark this centenary, a group of residents in Kilester, many of them direct descendants of the people originally housed there, held a community street party last weekend. A new book was also launched, profiling the veterans that first came to live in each house. Our producer, Lorcan Clancy, went along and found out more. So this is Kilester, a little village of Kilester on the north side of Dublin. And it is amazing to think that an event which happened thousands of miles away with the assassination of an Austrian prince trickled its way to this little piece of grass here in the north side of Dublin city. We would not be here today if Archduke Ferdinand wasn't assassinated and the tragedy of the First World War pursued. That's Tom Burke, founding member of the Royal Dublin Fusiliers Association. He grew up here in Colester. So the people who came back here were men who, who were British Army ex-servicemen, First World War, who fell on hard times and needed somewhere to live. Now, the British, I suppose, from their perspective, it was a kind of a way of, I suppose, reconciling their past in sense of giving something back to the Irish people who had serviced them in the First World War. And so the vast majority of the people around here today wouldn't have had a clue, literally, about the history of the First World War, but they do remember their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers and the great-granduncles who lived in these houses. And so that story can now be linked into the, the story of the First World War, can be linked into their memories. Literally, the stones that made up the houses of Calestres and the woodwork that made up the rafters, their stories were told in very hushed tones when these were younger men. And now their stories have been taken out of those shoeboxes and biscuit tins and put in the front window. And these stories are now in the front room, no longer hidden away with that little medal or that photograph in a shoebox, in a biscuit tin, hidden away in the house. And the community came out in all its glory and said, yeah, welcome home, lads. You're part of us. I've seen reference in the early days to this being called the Calester Colony. And some people don't like that term because it has a sort of an angle of imperialism and so forth. But it is a term that was used by the men that lived here at the time. That's Nigel Henderson co-author, along with Michael Nugent, of the book Calester Garden Village, The Lives of Great War Veterans and Their Families, which catalogues the stories of the men who moved here a century ago. So there's some men who served in Gallipoli, Salonica and the Western Front. There were others that served in the Western Front and then served in the Middle East. And there was just a, a, a massive range of different areas of service. They were mainly soldiers, but there were some sailors and some airmen that we came across. In the 1930s, more houses were added to the original 247, bringing the total to 289 dwellings. The people that lived here formed a very, very close community, and a community spirit um, developed. 
and you get the, the Legion Hall, the Legion Hut being built, which was used not just for meetings of the, the local branch of the British Legion, but also for social occasions, children's parties. Later on in the 1950s, there's photographs of people celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and the party was held in the Legion Hall. It's now quite dilapidated and it's not used anymore and it's a bit of a sad sight. And personally, I would love to see it being renovated and becoming back to what it was before, and that is a resource for the local community. My name is Imelda Doyle. I'm 91 and I was born and reared here in Colchester. My father was James Martin and he was in the Royal Artillery. Badly wounded, spent all his life, had a wound which never healed. And every so often he had to go into Leopardstown Hospital, Park Hospital, which was military, and get himself fixed up again for another while. But uh, he was 96 when he died. He formed committees here to fight for the right for the women to be allowed to stay in the houses when the men died. And they won their case, and then they fought for the right to buy the houses. And they won that as well. And he was Secretary of the British Legion, so they did a lot of good work for the people of the village. It was, it was a great social place, you know. I mean, every Monday night they had um, a dance in the Legion Hall. But it was, it was all innocent, it was lovely, you know. It was lovely growing up here. And we had so much freedom because we were surrounded by farmlands and fields. So we were out from early morning to late evening playing, 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 you know. And everyone got on, it was mixed. You know, you had Protestants and Catholics, but it never made any difference. Everybody played together. You know, so it was lovely, lovely place. And I'm delighted to see it coming back to life. And let me say, the men and women are the men who made Cholester. And as you know, they were mentally and physically damaged. Some of them never worked again or anything. And it was the women who kept them together and kept the families together and everything, you know. Nobody had much, but they got on with what they had. And um, nobody went hungry. We kept our good clothes for Sunday. <laughs> this year is also the centenary of the Colester Railway Station, now Colester Dart Station, opened in 1923 to connect this garden village to the city centre. The infrastructure and large green spaces made Colester an attractive place to live. Michael Nugent's my name. Uh, I've been involved in Great War research probably for just over 10 years now. I research individual servicemen for relatives and I've also written three books about the Great War. Whenever the houses were set up, and it's the same across all of Ireland, they were all given a large back garden. And those back gardens were used uh, to cultivate vegetables. Some people kept chickens and other animals. But uh, we came across, when we were carrying out the, the research, newspaper reports of flower shows, vegetable shows, where the residents here invariably took the top prizes. Uh, there were obviously very keen societies within the community here. Many of the men had very visible disabilities, like amputated limbs because of the injuries they sustained during the war. Then, of course, there was the mental trauma endured by soldiers on the battlefield, which they carried with them for many years afterwards. And we came across a number of cases where where people committed suicide, probably because of the effects of the war, and not just in the years 
the 1920s. We're talking about in the 1930s. And, and you know, people who were gassed as well, breathing difficulties, probably living out in the countryside and the outskirts of, of Dublin may have, may have helped them in that way, but that's still in their, their death register entries. Yeah, chronic bronchitis, pneumonia, these are, and emphysema, these are illnesses which crop up time and time again in the death register entries for men who lived in Calaster. And it's nearly always connected to either being gassed, but also the conditions in which men served, especially on the Western Front, where quite often they were um, standing in, you know, two, three foot of water in the bottom of the trenches. Uh, Michael mentioned um, disabilities and the, the garden schemes. There was one man who was a frequently listed in as a winner, and he had had both his legs amputated as a result of the war, but he still did his gardening from his wheelchair, which to me speaks of as somebody who wasn't prepared to just sit back and take whatever life wanted to throw at him. He may not have been able to, to have worked, but he was still able to get around. He was still able to do things which interested him and which probably helped his mental health because there would be nothing worse, than I think, than a, for somebody who had served in the war to then be stuck in a house all day long. This day shows you the, the huge community spirit here today and that we're still a garden village. I seen on one of the original plans, it was called like even a garden city. It was a bit of a stretch, but it's definitely a garden village and it has that feel and vibe here today. That's Aaron Crampton, chairman of the Colester Garden Village Committee. So this is the centenary, the completion of the Colester Garden Village. So the original 247 houses, they were built from kind of roughly 1921 to 1923. And that was Abbeyfield, Middle Third and the Domain. But the development of the estate continued on then right up to the 1930s. My great-grandfather lived in 90 Abbeyfield from about roughly 1928. He was Sergeant John Brophy. He was served both in the First World War and then when he settled here after the First World War for a few years, then uh, he then went back and joined up in the Second World War uh, like a few other Colester men themselves. So he served in uh, France in the First World War and France again in the Second World War. The war did affect him in many ways. I, I found records that he applied for help with uh, some charities when he got back from the First World War and, and AA and so on. You know, so, and that's a common picture with the veterans here in Colester. Many of them suffered either with their mental health or physical health. And, you know, they're quite forgotten about. They just carried on with their lives in these houses and this community. It was quite unknown, you know, to people outside Colester and in the, you know, general kind of history and Dublin history even. And there was nothing there to recognise it or honour it. So, you know... That's why I suppose today is the culmination of that and both the estate and the ex-servicemen and families that lived here are rightfully recognised and and honoured today. Lorcan Clancy was reporting there from Colester in North Dublin. That book once again is called Colester Garden Village, The Lives of Great War Veterans and Their Families. The authors are Nigel Henderson and Michael Nugent, and it's published by the Liffey Press. And our thanks to Rita O'Reilly of the Colester Centenary Committee for her assistance with that report.